He's looking ahead. Well, uh, good morning. It is really a joy uh, to be here with you this morning. Every time we get a chance uh, to visit family here in California, my family really does look forward to coming to church here. Uh, we are so thankful for this church body, um, for the pastoral staff, uh, the elders, and I, I just want to mention to you, uh, churchgoer and member, how blessed you are to have such wonderful leadership here at Valley Center Community Church. So we, we look forward to worshiping with you and I enjoy hearing Dave preach, and I was glad that he could uh, come to the church I pastor last year at this time and preach, and I'm delighted to I have that task uh, to preach to you this morning. But before we do, would you join me in prayer? Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for this morning and for the truths that have uh, already been expressed through song. Lord, we do thank you for your magnificent and marvelous grace. And Lord, I pray now that you would help me to serve uh, the people of this church well. Lord, I pray that you'd give me clarity of thought. Lord, I pray that you would empower me by your spirit to make much of the Savior, Jesus Christ, and to clearly and accurately preach your perfect word to these precious people, these people who you care so much for that you sent your son Christ to die for them. Lord, I thank you that you love us, that you love the church, and that, God, in your kindness, you have not left us alone. But in addition to the gift of your spirit, you've given us your word. So, Lord, help me proclaim it well. So, Spirit, come and do what you do best, and that's to make much of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to date myself here, but how many of you have heard of Bozo the Clown? Okay. Uh, some of you younger people may not even know who he was. Um, Bozo the Clown was the star of the Bozo Show. From uh, 1960 to 2001, it aired on WGN, and it was filmed before a live studio audience there in downtown Chicago. And in addition to the sketches and the cartoons, what made the Bozo Show so great is that they would select kids from the live studio audience to participate in games where they could win awesome toys and prizes. The greatest game being the grand prize game. And this is where you had to take a little ping pong ball (coughs) and throw it in six consecutive red buckets. Now, <clears throat> we actually owned this game growing up. I don't know if anyone else did. You want to admit it? But we had to practice throwing it in the, in the little buckets there, the grand prize game. Well, when I was about seven years old, my dad got tickets for me and my brother Dave to go with him downtown to Chicago to go watch the Bozo Show. And as you can imagine, Dave and I were incredibly excited. In fact, knowing that there could be just the slightest chance, the smallest chance that we could get picked for the grand prize game, Dave and I practiced each and every day, throwing those ping pong balls into those little 
red buckets. Now, I, I, I do need to let you know, though, uh, I was not very good at the game, even though I had lots and lots of practice. Well, the day finally arrived, and we all woke up early, and my dad drove us downtown to WGN, where they filmed the show. And when it came time for us to be seated, we were placed in the main center section, the very section where Bozo the Clown comes and selects a child. We couldn't believe it. And then to my amazement, when Bozo came over to our section, he actually picked me for the grand prize game. And you know what I did? I said no. <laughs> I turned him down. And my brother Dave and my dad couldn't believe it. I turned him down. And you know why I did? I did because I was afraid of embarrassing myself. You see, I knew I wasn't good at that game. And the thought of doing poorly in front of an entire studio audience, not to mention all the people watching on live TV, it was too much for me. I didn't want to be laughed at. Because let's face it, who wants to be embarrassed? I mean, have you ever said or done something embarrassing before? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> but my guess is we could all raise our hands, right? And that feeling of embarrassment, it's a terrible feeling, isn't it? In fact, I would argue we hate that feeling, don't we? I know I do. That feeling of people thinking less than us or being seen as dumb. This is why we will do everything we possibly can to avoid that feeling, even if it means telling Bozo the Clown no on live television. Right? Because who wants to be seen as foolish? This morning, we're going to be studying 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And as we're about to see, this text is going to challenge us to make a choice. And friend, please hear me. It's a choice that every person must make. No one is exempt from making this decision. And I need to tell you up front, you need to be warned, friend, that this is not going to be an easy decision. Because in many ways, just like me at the Bozo Show, this text is going to invite you to do something, please hear me, where you will be seen as foolish. So what is that decision? Well, if you haven't already, turn with me there to 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
as many of you know, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in the city of Corinth, which is uh, located today in modern-day Greece. The church meeting in Corinth, it probably, our best guess would have been a smaller church, probably around 50 to 60 people. And in the text we're about to read, Paul is going to challenge them. And by extension, us, he's going to challenge us to pick a side, if you will, to make a decision, to make a choice. And what's that decision? Well, follow along with me in your copy of God's Word as I read 1 Corinthians 1. I'm actually going to start back up in verse 17 and read down to verse 25. Hear now the Word of the Lord. This is what the Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He writes, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And tell us, Paul, what's this foolishness? What's this folly that you preach that saves souls? He goes on to say in verse 22, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God and wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Amen. Amen. In the 1940 Disney movie Pinocchio, an Italian woodworker named Geppetto, he builds a wooden marionette who he wishes to be a real boy. And then during the night, the blue fairy comes and brings that wooden marionette to life, though he is still a puppet. And the marionette's name is, of course, Pinocchio. Well, right after the blue fairy leaves, Pinocchio meets Jiminy Cricket. And Jiminy Cricket, he sits Pinocchio down, and he tells him, look, Pinocchio, the world is hard. The world is difficult to navigate. So Jiminy Cricket then offers Pinocchio some advice. And tell me, 
What does he tell Pinocchio to always be his guide? Surely you know this movie. Tell me, what does Jiminy Cricket tell Pinocchio to always be his guide? His conscience. And always let your conscience be your guide. That was adequate. Okay. Now, while I don't agree with Jiminy Cricket's advice, he is correct, though, in saying that the world is difficult. In Valley Center Community Church, the truth is, all of us in this room not only recognize that this world is difficult to navigate, but every person in this room who can hear my voice, you are looking to something to be your guide. Each person in this room is trusting in some kind of, please hear me, wisdom to help them navigate life. And for the citizens of Corinth at the time of this writing, that guide for them was human knowledge. Historians tell us that the people of Corinth, they valued eloquent speech and rhetoric. We could say that their cultural currency was intellect. They prized the experts of their day, and they looked down upon the simple and feeble-minded. And I want to argue that today we're not much different. In fact, I want to argue that we're very much the same. And you know how I know this is the case? Just look at our fears. Have you ever wondered why one of the top fears of our culture is public speaking? You know why that is? It isn't because we are unable to actually speak. No, it's because we are deathly afraid of being perceived as inarticulate or less thoughtful than we actually are. In a culture, in a society that prizes knowledge, that prizes wisdom, we do not want to be seen as dumb or foolish, do we? Indeed, we don't want to be associated with anything that our culture finds intolerant or narrow-minded. Friend, I think it's pretty self-evident to say that the pull of our culture is to trust, put our confidence in the opinions, thoughts, and wisdom of man, to have the wisdom of man, to have that be our guide, Jiminy Cricket, Yet notice what the Apostle Paul writes in this passage. Paul's message to the Corinthians and us today is something radically different, and that is this. Here's the main idea of our text this morning, that is, trust the word of the cross more than the wisdom of man. Trust the word of the cross more than the wisdom of man. This, I want to argue, is the main idea of our text this morning. In a very deliberate way, notice how Paul contrasts the wisdom of man with the word of the cross. The word of the cross that Christ died, Christ was crucified to save sinners. Did you notice how he did that? And in so doing, what Paul is saying is this. He's challenging the Corinthians and us today. He's saying, look, 
Pick a side. Where will you stand, Corinthians? Where will you stand, Valley Center Community Church? As 2021 is coming on the horizon here in a few days, as you look to this new year, what are you going to trust to be your guide? What are you going to put your weight and confidence in? Paul is challenging us to put your trust in the message of the cross more than the wisdom of man. It's a decision. It's a choice. And it's one that each of us must make. Will we side with the word of the cross and be called foolish or with the wisdom of man? So to those who have ears to hear, I want you to consider three compelling reasons from this text that the Apostle Paul makes why you should indeed trust the word of the cross more than man, more than the wisdom of man. And the first reason is this. Trust the word of the cross because first, it determines eternal destiny. It determines eternal destiny. Look at again what Paul writes there in verse 18. He writes, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In a January 2013, Sabine Moreau, a 67 year old Belgium woman, She was driving to pick up a friend in Brussels about 90 miles from her home. However, she ended up in Croatia nearly 1,000 miles away. And at first, she just thought her friend's house was farther than she anticipated. But once she started noticing signs in different languages, she knew something was wrong. So what caused her to end up in Croatia rather than her friend's house? It was faulty directions in her GPS. She followed her GPS 900 miles off course. Now, it's one thing to follow a GPS off course for 900 miles. But it's quite another thing to follow something that will lead you off course for all eternity. Friend, I may not know everything about you, but I'm quite confident that all of us in this room, we all want to arrive at the same eternal destination after we die, and that is heaven. And this verse is making it abundantly clear that there's only one way to get there, and that is through faith in the cross of Jesus Christ. Friend, I plead with you to please hear me when I say this, that you have a soul that will never die. And every person who has ever walked this planet will spend an eternity 
either in heaven, blessed in the presence of God, or in eternity, suffering in hell. Those are the only two options. And what Paul makes clear is that every person's eternal destination is based solely on their response to the word of the cross. You see, and this is so important for us to understand, our fundamental problem, my fundamental problem, your fundamental problem, is not a lack of spiritual knowledge or enlightenment. No, our fundamental problem is sin. And we all know this. I mean, I have yet to meet a perfect who says, actually, Aaron, I'm perfect. I'm without sin. Yet to meet a person like that. We all know we're sinners. We all know we have not loved God like we ought. We all know we have not served him as we ought. We all know that we've chosen to live for ourselves rather than God. In fact, I am quite confident that every person in this room You have thought things and you have done things that you'd be absolutely terrified if others found out. Our problem isn't that we're unaware that we have sin in our life. Everyone knows that they're a sinner with imperfections and flaws. That's not our problem. No, you know what our problem is? We just don't think our sin deserves judgment. But it does. And Scripture makes this abundantly clear. Our sin earns us something, and that is eternal judgment from God in hell. And friend, this is precisely why faith in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only GPS that will get us to heaven. For on the cross, Jesus Christ absorbed the full punishment we are owed for our sin. You have to understand, on the cross, Christ took care of our greatest problem. This is what makes what Paul is saying here and what I'm saying to you now, Christ crucified to save sinners, that's what makes this good news, not good advice. Because Christ took care of our greatest problem. Look, friend, you cannot save yourself. I cannot save myself. Our righteousness is but filthy rags to a holy God. You know what you need? You need a power outside of yourself to save you, and that's precisely what God has provided for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. As you hear every week at this church, Jesus Christ lived the perfect sinless life you failed to live. Then he died the death we are owed for our sins. Then three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating sin and death and proving himself to be who he claimed to be, the one and only true son of God. And through his death and resurrection... Christ brings salvation to those who believe in him by faith. And can I ask, have you done that? Twenty twenty has been a hard year, but eternity in hell is a lot worse. Don't leave here today 
trusting a faulty GPS. Don't be looking to your own morality to make your way to heaven. Don't be looking to the faith of a mom or a grandparent or a father to make it to heaven. There's only one way, and that's through the power of God as expressed in the cross of Jesus Christ. Friend, put your faith in that. I want you to notice how Paul says that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. This is in the present tense. And what Paul is getting at is that this is our natural condition. Left to ourselves, we find the message of the cross offensive. And you know why we find the message of the cross offensive or narrow-minded or stupid or dumb or foolish? We find it those things because the message of the cross attacks our pride. It tells us we cannot save ourselves. Outside of saving faith in Jesus, we are perishing and the cross is foolish. And friend, I just want to warn you, I plead with you to hear me. The one who does not believe the message of Christ crucified to save sinners, the one who does not go all in on that, friend, you are doomed. And shame on me if I don't tell you that. You have a soul that will never die. And this text is giving you a choice. Salvation is only through faith in the cross of Christ. Because then notice what else he says there in verse 18. He says, for those of us who see the cross of Christ as the power of God, we are being saved. Again, this is the present tense. And all this simply means is that Christians, we are in the process of awaiting the moment when our salvation will be fully realized at the last judgment. The Bible talks about we are saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. This is talking about that great and final day. So number one, trust the word of the cross because it alone can save you. But second, trust the word of the cross because it declares true wisdom. It declares true wisdom. Notice what Paul writes in verses 19 through 21. He says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. It declares true wisdom. Uh, several years ago, actually uh, a little bit more than several years ago, my, my parents, they remodeled their attic. And by remodeling their attic, what I mean is they laid floorboards down so you didn't have to balance, you know, precociously on the wood joists to go up there, right? They put some floorboards down. So now they have more storage to store items from my childhood and Dave's childhood. Um, and other things. 
Well, uh, shortly after they added the floorboards, I came home to discover a small hole in the ceiling and a father who was quite upset. You see, one of the floorboards had been installed improperly. So my dad, when he was in the attic, when he stepped on that floorboard, the board couldn't bear his weight. So through the ceiling, his foot went. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced the sensation of falling through a ceiling, but from what I have observed, I would not recommend it. Just think about it for a moment. It's actually quite a scary thing. When walking in an attic, you're placing your confidence in those floorboards. You're trusting that they're going to bear your weight. What a shock then to place your weight on something, believing it will sustain you when suddenly it gives way. The Corinthians were placing their confidence in human wisdom. Yet with all its profound insights and helpful advice, Paul explains that human wisdom is not enough. There's only one message that can bear the weight of our lives, and that's the message of the cross. Notice how Paul makes this point. Look at what he says there in verse 19. I mean, just hear these words, friend. God declares that he will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning he will thwart. Look, it's one thing like my dad to place your confidence in something you don't know is going to fail you. But why would you place your confidence in something that God himself has declared and chosen to destroy? Because I got news. When God destroys something, it's completely destroyed. Yet that is exactly what the Corinthians were doing. They were placing their trust in human wisdom. In Valley Center Community Church, we need to take a step back and honestly ask ourselves, are we doing the same thing? Do I believe, do you believe that the wisdom of this world, whatever it might be for you, that that can bear the weight of your life? I mean, we, we truly, we live in an age of un, unprecedented wisdom and knowledge, don't we? We have amazingly beautiful pieces of literature we have the accumulated knowledge of centuries, the latest in discoveries in the fields of psychology, neuroscience, and medicine. And we can be tempted to put our faith in these things. The wisdom of man. And yet, according to the passage we just read, none of these can bear the weight of our lives. You know why, friend? Because they were never designed to. Now, this doesn't be, mean we can't benefit from these things. Of course we should. But we shouldn't place our hope and confidence in them. This is why, as I know the pastors at your church do, whenever I 
and, or one of the other elders of the church I pastor, we go and visit someone in the hospital who's about to have a procedure done or they're sick and they're recovering. We will, we will pray for effective medicine. We will pray that the surgeons will have a successful surgery. But we also pray and say that our confidence is in the great physician. We direct their hearts to the one who is above all. Not that we don't appreciate the means that God has given us, but we don't put our hope in the hands of a surgeon. We put our hopes in the great physician, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this, this point here is, is stronger than it initially appears because I want you to notice how Paul quotes Isaiah 29.14 to demonstrate that God has rejected the wisdom of the wise. In Isaiah 29, the prophet predicted that Jerusalem would be besieged but would escape harm. However, the so-called prophets and wizards of smart, those who were deemed to be wise at that time, would utterly fail to discern what God was actually doing. When you read Isaiah 29, it's clear that the Lord prevented the so-called, listen to me, smart people from understanding his plans. And what Paul does is Paul applies that prophecy to his day. God has determined to frustrate the wisdom of those who claim knowledge just as he did in Isaiah's day. Unless there be any doubt that this is what Paul is doing, doing, notice he calls out the so-called wise in verse 20. Look there again, what does he say? He says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of of the world. And all this is leading to Paul's climax there of his argument in verse 21, where Paul states that you cannot know God any other way than through faith in the cross of Christ. Notice, indeed, it was God's wisdom that the world would be unable to know him through worldly wisdom. Indeed, it pleased God that through the folly of preaching the cross of Christ, God would save sinners. And I have to tell you, man, this is an absolute game changer. What Paul is articulating here is radical. Do you you understand what he's saying? Paul is saying to you, friend, there's absolutely no way for you to know God, to become a child of God, and have the hope of eternal life apart through the message of Christ crucified, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This text, friend, goes in direct contrast to the teachings of like Eckhart Tolle or Deepak Chopra. Indeed, this goes in direct contrast to what so many in America believe, namely that the way to connect to God, the way to connect to God is through some higher level of enlightenment. No, Paul says very clearly, verse 21, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. 
It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save sinners. The word of the cross is true wisdom for it's the only way to know God. But then finally, trust the wisdom of the cross because it defines Christian ministry. Notice how this passage ends, verses 22 through 25. Paul writes, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and wisdom of God. And then, Christian, be encouraged. This, I mean, how great is our God? I love verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God stronger than men. Amen? Uh, Pastor H.B. Charles tells the story of a church that had 1 Corinthians one twenty-three on the outside of its historic downtown building. It had the words, four words, we preach Christ crucified. Well, over time, some ivy grew up the wall and obscured the last word in that statement so that only the words were visible, we preach Christ. A short time later, Without anyone ever really noticing, Ivy continued to grow up that wall until the next to the last word was covered so that the passerby could only see two words. We preach. And in many ways, this short story, it's it's kind of a sad parable of the contemporary church. What I mean is, there's no shortage of preaching and preachers today. But this message, Christ crucified, is often obscured, if not intentionally absent. A person can attend a church for weeks, if not months, and hear multiple messages about financial prosperity, or personal success, or relationship connections, or or how to be a better you, and many other user-friendly subjects without hearing one clear presentation of Christ crucified. And to be fair, most pastors and churches do not abandon the message of Christ crucified intentionally. It's often subtle, like, like ivy creeping up a wall. Yet slowly over time, there becomes no distinction between the church and the world. Notice, Paul makes it clear what the defining message of the church is to be, and that is Christ crucified. And like Paul, every pastor is simply a herald of this truth. And we do not have editorial control over the message. Friend, this is why, and I have to tell you, Valley Center Community Church, you are so blessed. Because whether it's my brother Dave 
or any of the other pastors or any of the other elders that get up here. They just don't get up here, tell you a bunch of inspirational stories, and then slap a Bible verse on the end. You know why? Because they believe this. They understand that the central message of Christianity and the central message of the Bible is Christ crucified to save sinners. This is why the pastors of this church go through books of the Bible because they know the whole counsel of God points to this truth. How many of you were here for the Christmas Eve service, the 430 service? Raise your hand. Okay, this illustration will connect. I don't know what you observed during the 430 service, or I don't know what you heard during the 430 service, but you know what I saw? The tent swaying. What else, what else did you hear? Tell me what did you hear? Wind? Did you hear any ripping? Like, do you remember that? Okay. There were distractions galore. But you know what I saw on New Year's? New Year's. <laughs> Christmas Eve. Despite the fact that it felt like this tent was going to fall down and we all were going to die. <laughs> I saw your pastor unwaveringly preach Christ crucified to save sinners. I saw a man gripped by this truth. Be thankful that you have a pastor and pastors and staff and elders who embrace this because this is the defining message for Christian ministry. And I got to tell you, this is foolishness to a lot of people. And notice, Paul is quick to point this out. Because what does he say? Some demand something more than the simple message. They demand, and oh, isn't this true today? They demand that this message it be accompanied with signs and eloquent rhetoric. And his outstanding book, The Cross and Christian Ministry, New Testament scholar D.A. Carson identifies what's really at the heart of such demands. He writes this. I'm going to throw it on the screen. He writes... The demand for signs becomes the prototype of every condition human beings raise as a barrier to being open to God. I will devote myself to this God if he heals my child. I will follow this Jesus if I can maintain my independence. He goes on. In every case, I am assessing him. He's not assessing me. I am not coming to him on his terms. Rather, I am stipulating terms that he must accept if he wants the privilege of my company. You look at what Paul says there in verse 24. For those who are called by God, this message of Christ is the power and wisdom of God. Those who are called by God... Friend, this refers to the effectual call of God. The good news about Christ crucified and risen, it's proclaimed to all, but is only welcomed by those to whom God 
has called to be his own. What I'm saying is this, friend. In other words, friend, if you are here this morning and you're a Christian, it's because God sovereignly called and chose you to be his own. And praise him. Valley Center Community Church, I turned down Bozo the Clown. It's just funny even saying that out loud, but I turned down Bozo the Clown because I was afraid of being embarrassed. The choice to trust the word of Christ more than the wisdom of man, I'm promising you, Valley Center Community Church, it will make you look foolish to the world. But Christian, you have no need to be embarrassed. For as verse 25 reminds us, the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Amen? Therefore, let us in confidence trust the word of the cross. Paul has challenged us to pick a side. And as we approach the new year, let us boast only in the cross and not human wisdom. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and for the assurance to know that although we might be perceived as fools, we know that the foolishness of God is better than the wisdom of man. Lord, we don't know what 2021 is going to hold in store, but you do. Help us to have the cross of Christ. Help us to have your word be our guide. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.